Have you ever wanted to own your own lightsaber? Have you ever wondered what it's like to create lightsabers, to sell them, to market them, to teach people how to use them? Friends, we are still respecting the strike, but the thing is, Star Wars is such a cultural movement that not only are there books beyond the TV shows, there's comic books, but there are people out here who are just doing incredible things in the Star Wars-verse far away from anything Disney is controlling. Uh, we're going to be talking to cosplayers in coming weeks. We're going to talk to fiction writers. And today we are talking to friendly neighborhood lightsaber expert, Alan White, who's going to tell you by the end of this episode why a lightsaber is certified better than a stick. All that more after commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. Quick Quick programming note also for our uh, longtime listeners, I'm going to be switching to a new way of doing things, possibly on this episode already, but probably starting the next episode, you're going to start hearing uh, ads to start off the episode instead of after a cold open. So if you hear that, don't worry, still all the same content. We're just moving things around a little bit. Um, but as I said, my guest today is Alan White. Alan, say hello and tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I... Uh I am the the friendly neighborhood master Alan of TikTok, and I have become known for the lightsaber guaranteed better than a stick because you can't choose what you go viral for. Uh huh. <laughs> and so, <laughs> very true. About three years ago, four years ago, I don't know. COVID has made time mean less. Um, but it was right before Christmas. I posted a video. There was somebody that had found a, a stick in their bedroom and was sort of swinging it around. And they said, can anybody help me find a lightsaber better than this stick? And I was just like, I can make that funny. And mm -hmm. so I did. And then like a quarter million people saw it in three days. And my, <laughs> my little side hustle went from this, like, okay, like this is kind of like, I, I got product. I'm selling product. This is, this is like a viable like thing. This could, this could be like a mm -hmm. nice little, a nice little, uh, uh, secondary secondary income to like you know well maybe I should expand into these character based lightsabers maybe I should go to some conventions like and and uh, everything that this has uh, this has sort of become <laughs> across the last three years. you know we don't question when the great internet gods decide to bless us with their magnificence uh, we just accept <laughs> uh, going viral and there we are when the algorithm gods bestow upon you their blessing. <laughs> You say thank you. <laughs> so just to give a quick summary, and we'll get into it more, but just so people understand. So what you do, you do is you literally build and make and sell lightsabers, correct? Well, so let me clarify that because I've clarified this in some videos, but it's they always tend mm -hmm. to be the ones that don't perform very well. Yep. And so then people don't necessarily – you know, get all the info. Um, so I work with a manufacturer. I don't, I don't do any soldering. I don't do any um, – you know, like machining of aluminum or anything like that. I, uh, COVID gave me the opportunity to audition manufacturers, mm -hmm. um, to supply lightsabers for the martial arts class that I have here in Kentucky. Nice. And so after, you know, I had to, I had to kiss a few frogs on that one. Unfortunately, there's, there's some hot garbage out there, but I was able to find the manufacturer I work with, mm -hmm. um, that checked all the most important features to me, plus had some stuff that, um, was unexpected or, or, you know, like kind of exciting. Right. And so that is the manufacturer I have gone with. And it's, mm. if you are, if you are a lightsaberist, um, 
something like two thirds of the companies out there now are working with my manufacturer. Um, a lot of names nice. you'll recognize from TikTok. It's they are uh, functionally there are three companies that make all of this stuff. They are all located in Wuhan in China, and they all hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, we're going to get into all the details of that. But let's kind of pull back the lens a little bit. Let me mm. just ask you, like, how did you get your start in Star Wars? Um. All right. So, in the long ago days of the 1980s, um, you know, like right before the late ni- – you know, I guess it's still the late 1900s before the turn of the century. <laughs> um, young Master Alan was watching bootleg VHS tapes. And so, um, for many people, like their, their Star Wars, like – their, their Star Wars memory is the Fox fanfare, mm-hmm. right? And so, for me, it's the HBO, like, lead-in before the Fox fanfare, right? So, like, there's nice. this, yep. this this window of time from the 80s. There's this, like, it's an HBO, like, it's basically like a flyover of a city. And that is all of the Star Wars movies that I consumed as a child had that um, as the lead-in until, like, I was in high school when the the special editions came out right Right. like with the you know and so then there was like the new vhs with the extra stuff Mm -hmm. um you know but the ones that by far i had watched the most at that point were all those and so that's like the core memory for me um uh is those uh is those bootlegged uh uh those bootlegged vhs and was this like one of a number of things you loved or did you just kind of latch on to this as like this is my thing now oh uh, my nerddom saw no bounds. And for those of you at home, since there's not video, I'm wearing a Blue Lantern shirt right now, mm-hmm. um, uh, which are the, in many ways, the most Jedi of the Lantern Corps. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, it's there's there's so much right, like, and it's and it's mm-hmm. a lot of the same things that because there was. There was the Fox X-Men cartoon. There was yep. the, the Spider-Man cartoon of that same era, which was um, sneakily very good. There's like there's all of these things that like this little outcast kid, you know, saw heroes that were awesome and relatable and were going through um, struggles of not being understood. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, like you look at you look at the, the archetypes and the stories and things that really resonate with people. Like the characters that have this really deep sense of not being understood mm-hmm. are characters that so many people connect with for, and for all kinds of reasons, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm, I'm a little bit more team Marvel than DC, but I'm not exclusive. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Loader. Yeah. Um, uh, I lived on the sci-fi channel for a very long time. Uh, I remember a lot of those sci-fi Saturday afternoon movies that were interesting stories, very low production values, um, but still a lot of fun. <laughs> what and like the the Stargate show that was on Sci-Fi, which was fantastic. And, oh yeah. Um, there was uh, Farscape for. Yeah, I was um, wondering if you're going to go to that one next. That it's like because I'm I'm also like um, I'm a huge fan of Henson and the Muppets, and so. Like the the Henson Studios association with Farscape was why I even tested it out to begin with, and then I discovered this fantastic show. Yeah, um, that's really well written and wonderful characters. Uh, for anybody that has not ventured down that particular rabbit hole, um, the the show ends on a cliffhanger because sci fi, 
but it's <laughs> like it's the ride is still worth it. Like yeah. even even knowing that the ride is still worth it. Very much so. Very much so. And since like generally we're trying not to promote too many like TV movies <sighs> right these days. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But since that since that studio has literally gone away, I think we're okay with that one. <laughs> you know. Um. So what was it that really grabbed you about Star Wars? Um. And so like it's different eras of my life has been different things, right? Mm. And so as a kid, the 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 hero story of Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah. It's that it's that that fantasy hero archetype the magic sword that like when you're the doughy kid with asthma and you see somebody that is holding this sword that like all of your physical limitations wouldn't prevent you from being awesome with that sword. Yeah. Right. Like it's, you know, so there's all of these things because it's when for myself and I can't, I can't speak for everybody that's been through this, but I've, I've had enough of these conversations that I feel like it's kind of universal that like being the outcast kid, also, like, there's all this different insecurity that comes in with it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the the not being physically capable. There's the, uh, like, um, you know, not being socially or mentally capable, missing out on stuff or whatever. Um, and so, like, like, seeing something that is just like, oh, well, this problem that I have wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, there's a, for anybody in the audience that has read the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. The like the fact that more people don't fixate on shard plate mm-hmm. as a solution to that insecurity or as like this, you know, like the shard blade is kind of the more um, seen item or just the powers of the Knights Radiant in general. But the yeah. the way that functionally a magical mech suit could turn you into Superman. Yeah. Um I mean, I, I especially love those. I find Sanderson's writing very hard to get through, but I've enjoyed the summaries of them that I've read or <laughs> I, the, the uh, or some of the shorter I'm, stories. And for me as a disabled person, there's one story in particular about a woman. You may know which story I'm talking about. I can't remember the name. But she's become disabled and, and she uses some part of the magic system to basically like allow her body to do things that her body couldn't normally oh. do. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the character either. Yes. But it, what I loved about it was that it, it, so it gave that fantasy, but also in a way that like, because a lot of times it does it in a way that erases mm-hmm. you, the character's disability to the point that they no longer become relatable. Right. And this one it was. And, and I really love that about that. Yeah, for sure. And pulling it back to Star Wars though, it, it and this is I think what I, what I love about it. Don't worry. We're going to go no, on you, lots you, of you, tangents. You, you, you. That's the tangents is all over the you place. You are really good. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I, I I love about Star Wars is how so many of us can find different things to relate to. Because mm. for me, it was never quite that. It was the idea of emotion, like the danger of runaway emotion. You know, because mm. I I had my parents. You know, at a young age, were always fighting. They eventually split up. There was addiction problems. There was there was a lot of people yelling at each other. Mm. And as I started getting a little bit older. Part of what I could see is that, like, when one person got so angry at someone else, they stopped listening to the other. Mm. And it started just being about, you're the bad one. And this was whether it was, you know, the people in my school who were mad at each other or, like, the politics that I saw between nations or what I saw with my family. And so, yeah, I really loved that idea of, like, no, no, here's a whole philosophy that's actually around, like, stop. Don't let the... Don't let the anger overwhelm you. Don't let the the fear overwhelm you. Mm. And I, I just love that it can be all these different things to different ones of us, you know. Wow. And that and that brings us into the 
um, as I've gotten older, because uh, I've been a martial arts instructor since 1997. Like that was my high school mm, job. Yeah. Um, and that, and so like the amount of just, just um, interrupt. So, what martial art did you start with? I so I, I'm I've basically consistently been in a system that's called Shaolin Kempo Karate since 1993. Okay. Um, and so this October is going to be 30 years in this system for me. Now I've done a bunch of other stuff in seminars or like, you know, I did like a year and some change of Aikido um, mm-hmm. and a handful of other systems. So it's like I've, done, I've done a bunch of stuff, um, but I've, I've done most of them through the lens of a Shaolin Kempo karate practitioner. Mm. Um, and, you know, and so that, that has come with like, um, pluses and minuses, like everything else. Right. But it's, but like, I've gone, I've gone through all of these things in, um, very much with the intention of becoming a better artist. Yeah. Right. And it's cause like, so the ideas of, of non-attachment, the ideas of, um, you know, not having anger or fear, make your choices, things like that. Right. Like that's, that's something that's in a lot of martial arts systems and from mm-hmm. lots of different countries and yeah. um, lots of different disciplines. Um, and the, the amount of like martial arts tradition that not just the Jedi order, but is, is like in, in star Wars. Cause it's also in some of the ways that the Mandalorians have been depicted. It's in, it's mm-hmm. in a lot of stuff. Um, and sometimes it's in ways that it's like, Oh, this is, this is how I choose to be as a martial artist. This is how I choose to be as a mentor. And other times it's just like, I'm going to not be like that. That's not. Yeah. That is. That's fair. <laughs> that guy's a dumbass. D- or D- whatever. Darth, Darth, Darth Plagueis is not the uh, uh, guide you're looking to as a, a good mentor. <laughs> I, I prefer to not be a leech. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. Probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I like, to, I like to see my students as people that I'm trying to help along the way rather than somebody to leverage for my own advantage at some point in the future when I need them. Uh huh. Okay. Just, okay. Yeah. So, so we're more on the uh, Danny side than the uh, Cobra Kai side when it comes to Cobra Kai. Cool. Which, by the way, having mentioned that you are a, a karate expert, uh, I have to warn you: have now volunteered to be on an episode about Cobra Kai oh, when we're talking about those shows again. I'm so, so in. Um, um, I will have to get current, but I will absolutely do that for you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, okay. So the the martial arts comes in. Star Wars love. Where does lightsaber making come in? Come into all this? So I started. I do, oh boy! All right, now this is this becomes a long story very quickly, and I apologize. No, it's fine. All right, so I have a a sword system called Meimoto Kenjutsu that I am one of very very small number of practic- practitioners of. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do if I do a class where it's like okay, we're doing Kenjutsu. Here's this wooden thing that looks like a sword. I want you to pretend it's a sword. Most people get like 80% of the way there. Um, but I had major retention problems with that class because um, it's sort of devoid of a ranking system and a couple other things that help with retention. Right. Um, but that you mean like there's no like belts for them to work through. So they have a like, oh, if I keep doing this for six months, I'll be a green ex- belt or whatever. Um, e- external rewards and internal motivation towards those external rewards. There's It's like yeah. the martial arts has always been gamified. Um, before it was cool to call things a game. Like, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Like, 
even before belt systems were invented, like that it always existed. It was just a title instead of a, a trinket. Mm-hmm. Then I discovered, uh, I want to say it was like 2015, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, was when I discovered durable lightsabers you could duel with. And so then I got a couple to kind of experiment with. Yeah. Because uh, the, the choreography for a lot of the original trilogy was all built out of uh, uh, a lot of samurai work anyway, rather than like other systems. Right. Um, and when you watch the like stunt choreography, like the step one of learning the choreography, they're using uh, Kenjutsu, like the wooden, it's called a Boken. Mm-hmm. They're, they're using those anyway. And so like, all right, we'll, we'll try this. We'll give it a shot. Right. And I was like, okay, this has, this has assisted retention because like if I hand somebody a lightsaber, even if the lightsaber doesn't make noise, if I hand them a lightsaber and say, pretend this is a lightsaber, pretend you are Luke Skywalker or Obi-Wan Kenobi or whoever, like whoever your favorite yep. one is, pretend you're them. Everybody is at 11. Like yeah. we are all, we are at 110%. Like we are in. Now, um, is it mostly kids you're finding with that is or is that all ages are just super into this? So, this is this is teens and adults because I am – like I have people swinging sticks at each other and from an insurance standpoint, I don't want to have to buy the multiple hundred dollars worth of kit for people to participate in the class mm-hmm. to do this activity um, because that gets very expensive in a hurry and this is not like a revenue generator for like the class is not. Yeah. Um, you know, the busiest I've ever been was like 20 active students in that. Mm-hmm. that system or that, you know, that segment of the school. Um, and so like when I do events for kids, then yeah, the kids are all the way in, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's mostly it's teens and adults. Um, the thing that That's typically awesome. surprises people that is, is frequently, um, more women than men. Interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, cause what I started out doing was a series of classes where it was just like, all right, here we go. This is the event. It's going to happen on, you yeah. know, X Saturday of the month. Um, show up, it's this much money, we're going to do lightsabers for an hour and a half or whatever. Um, and then, you know, I built it into a, a class every week. Right. Um, now, now and, just again, backing up a bit, yeah, yeah. I, I assume you're not using like flash flashlights and cardboard tubes here. Like, so you had lightsabers of your own that you decided to, ha- so where, where did you first get your first lightsaber and how did that get started for you? Uh, and so part of this would then be talking about my competition. So I'm going to say this sure. in, a, in a circuitous way because it's essentially, because this is part of how I ended up selling them. Yeah. The ones that were available were not great for a class that was predominantly women and teenagers. Uh, cause the handles were like a really large gauge. If you have been to the parks, um, and seen those lightsabers, like they've got, it's, it's a very big handle diameter, which makes it really right. difficult to use if you're using it for martial arts. And some of my competition, um, it functionally have that same problem. And so mm-hmm. then when I have a class that is a lot of teenagers and a lot of women and a couple of big dudes. Like yeah. The big dudes are fine with them because it fits in the hand okay. Or just people with large hands in general, but it's, you know, like I would have like two thirds of the class would be people under 5'7". Yeah. Okay. And then one third of the class would be people over 5'10". Right. And these right. and the original lightsabers that I could get were all mostly made by what I assume are pretty big guys. Five foot eight, five foot nine, you're just not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and so the the part of the search was looking for lightsabers that would suit that broader kind of audience that I was getting for so that people could come in and actually get to do this stuff. Right. Um, uh, and that's, 
like I said, a lot's happened because um, the website started with just like, all right, I'll put the curriculum online. So then mm-hmm. the people that um, want to be able to pursue this, it's there. And then I can like advertise it and hopefully I get some people want to sign up. Right. Um, and then that part of the website has continued to struggle to work uh, since I've gotten it up. We're on our second platform and our third plugin and some other stuff there. Um, it is actually actively, there's something on the site that is broken as a result of the plugin we are using for mm-hmm. that. And I still haven't been able to figure out what I need to change to fix it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. For outsourcing. I've got, <laughs> I've got somebody, I have somebody actively digging into that as we speak. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so you're talking uh, about like acquiring the first lightsabers for, for this class. Like, yeah. I, I guess a lot of, uh, I'll say myself until I started seeing your TikTok videos, I knew like there were toys you could buy out there, but the idea that there were these like functional lightsabers that were, I mean, like they're obviously not actual lightsabers. Um, I hear some people are trying to do things with like plasma in science labs, but like, I thought it was just like kids' toys. The fact that there are these things out there that do light ups and sounds and you can have fighting with, I had no idea. So give us just kind of an idea of like what, when you say like, yeah, you can actually buy a lightsaber today, what does that mean? What does that look like? <laughs> um, so when I started the website, I had three, three handle styles and it was all stuff that I had specifically picked to mm-hmm. suit my students. Like this is stuff that I want you to use in my class. I've checked right. all these. I know they work well. Um, now there's, uh, if, if we were, if we were live, I would take you on a little tour of the shelves. It's like, well, like the, this is a design, this is a different design, right. this is a different design. Um, but so different shops do this different ways. Like when I was purchasing lightsabers originally, you would, you would pick out your handle and then maybe adjust a couple other things on that. But then you would also be selecting what color the blade would light up and you were stuck mm-hmm. with it. Right. Um, and if you wanted to be able to change the color that the blade lit up, well, you were going to have to upgrade your electronics at that point. And then you're, it's like, it's all these add-ons, right? Yeah. And what I wanted to do is have something that's just like, no, 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 does it out of the box. You can get one lightsaber and it does what you need out of the box. And, and originally that was all targeting, you know, martial artists like myself, because I was, I was building the site just for my students functionally. Right. Um, just to have a way for them to like source something that I knew was going to work and, um, take the burden of the cost of the inventory and all that other stuff off of the dojo because you will be shocked to hear that martial arts schools are not, it's just not, it's not how you make a lot of money. Like whatever you're yeah. going to do with your life, that is not how you make a lot of money with it. Amazed, amazed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can make a TV show apparently. Cobra Kai's doing well. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, but that that was that was where it started, and now mm-hmm. I've got a host of different different designs depending on what you need. I found that there are there's a lot of the cosplay community, mm-hmm. yeah, that that interacts with my stuff and needs certain things from lightsabers because a cosplayer, um, a lot of times like a saber is sort of like that last piece that ties something together, mm-hmm. and it's it's the hardest thing to fabricate if you like with your whatever your cosplay toolbox is. Being able to make a lightsaber that actually lights up the color that you need is the h- right. hardest part of that process for most cosplayers. Yeah. Um, and so being able to like go online, find something that isn't a character inspired lightsaber, which then automatically comes with a bigger price tag, um, but also is more than just a flashlight. Yeah. Like is 
that's a that's a that's a boon. Yeah, like just to give you an idea, like the one that I have from you, uh, it, it can cycle through like all these different colors, and you can have like different sound variations and things like that, and it's it's truly impressive in terms of like the the wide range of things you can do. And then the newest electronics are even even beyond that, which is the staggering part to me. They came out my my manufacturer came out with the new electronics this year. Gave us like 10 days heads up, which was not awesome. <laughs> like, just like, yeah, all that old stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but like 34 sound fonts to choose from and you can add more. Um, yeah. but like legitimately infinite colors, but practically it is all the colors that are red, a green and a blue led can do in conjunction together. So it's a, it's a full spectrum of options. Right. And then when you need to switch it, you can just switch it, yeah. Um, which is the part that is really fantastic for both myself and uh, especially people that have to do a lot of filming across different characters and other things like that. Because, like, one of the things I found doing the class, the the first thing people ask about is color, right? Like they they would pick they would pick sabers based on okay, which ones are this color? And so then, like, I learned very quickly that I needed to divide the handles up not based on how they looked like the handles themselves, but what color they lit up. And so now being able to change it, anything is like, and then, because especially because there are, we're going to not name names because we don't have to. There are certain Uh people whose the experience of their lightsaber, it can be a variety of different colors, but you have to purchase additional external things to make that happen. Right. Um, and the part that is most infuriating about that to me personally is that the things that you're purchasing don't have any data on them. It just broadcasts an RFID. Mm, okay. And so you put it in your saber and then it tells the electronics in your saber what to do. Oh, so it's much less user control. It's okay. Like, and, it, and, and it's also, it's a, like your, your electronics already does all of that stuff native. You just have to put the right key code in it to set in that thing. So you have to buy something to put in your saber so that your saber will do something that it could do without the thing you purchased. It's all already there. <laughs> well, and lightsabers is a completely unique industry for that over monetization like that. But indeed. no, I understand that indeed. Uh, oh, and so you talked about cosplayers there and I, I, I'm not much of a cosplayer, but I do a lot of photography and stuff. And I, I've truly been amazed at how you can have just by the light of the lightsaber. Like sometimes I will turn on the lightsaber even if I'm not using it all, just because it's a great like mood light, oh, you know, because it can do that so well. It's so bright and it and it gives really really clear colors. So then, as like background or mm-hmm. like other things, it can highlight in really really cool ways. Right. But now, what about for the people? Because now you're talking about something that lights up and has all these electronics. And my first thought is, okay, well, I don't want to bang it against another one of these things because they're going to be very fragile. So, how does it become a martial arts thing that you can actually then have competitions with and people fight with? So the the oldest version of the saber and the saber that gets used the most for competitions and in my martial arts class and in other martial arts classes is what's called a baselet saber. And so there's basically two ways that sabers get made. Um, and so the thing that is one of the most common questions I get is people ask if a saber that I'm showing in a video is a NeoPixel. And so we'll explain that in a second. We'll, we'll start with baselet. Okay, so baselit means the light is in the handle itself. And so you're holding on to a flashlight that's a very expensive flashlight that is more fully featured than most flashlights are. Right. And then you have a, a polycarbonate tube 
with a fancy end that goes into that flashlight and then gets held in with some hardware so that it won't go anywhere so that you can then beat the tube against stuff without your electronics really experiencing all that much kinetic energy. Right. Because electronics are in the handle itself, not in the Exactly. The tube. Yeah. Everything is, everything is housed in the aluminum. And then the thing that is experiencing most of the impact, all of the momentum, all that stuff is all in the blade and the blades are pretty easy to replace. They're not that expensive. Right. Um, NeoPixel is a brand of LED strip. And mm-hmm. so any lightsaber that says that it is NeoPixel and specifically says that it is NeoPixel should mean that the LEDs inside their blade are NeoPixel brand. That is not generally the case. And so this would. So be this like, is one of those things where like vacuum is actually technically a company, but it's become the name for just the generic thing. No yeah. Who makes it? Got Kleenex, it. Um, right? Like it's there's all of these things where we identify the brand rather than the product. Um, yeah. And so NeoPixel has become that, right? And so there are multiple companies that make a chip, which is it's just a brain inside the handle of your saber that will control the the lights inside the blade. Mm, okay. Okay. And so Profi get, gets asked about a lot. Um, TXQ, Golden Harvest, the company that I work with, the one that they do the most of, is mm. now they call their Xeno 3 chip. Okay. And the Xeno 3 chip is used to is used to control a baselet or a pixel. And so now they have one chip instead of having two chips, which is what they did for the longest time. Any company that tells you this is just sort of like PSA, whatever. Any company that tells you their NeoPixels are good for dueling does not care about your, like, how much money you have to spend. Got it. Because they are going to break? So, like, if you are doing heavy dueling, like, if you are, your blades are going to break. They are going to. It doesn't matter if they're baselet. It doesn't matter if they're pixel. You're going to break blades eventually. It's just a question of when. Because if you Mm -hmm. get the the right hit at the right angle, it's, it's polycarbonate. It's incredibly durable. But that doesn't mean it's like it's not bulletproof, right? Right. And a, and a cylinder is a very strong shape, but still not bulletproof. Like it's gonna, it, it's going to happen eventually. The tip's gonna crack. Something's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Your pixel blades, because the blades have more weight, then like they're much more prone to, um, like if you get them to resonate just the right way, they'll snap and some other things. Because that extra weight in the blade can cause your stretch fractures to happen more easily, and the blades are Got much it. more expensive to replace. So, baselet for the martial arts side of it, NeoPixel for more the photography, the, the, the looking amazing. I mean, the, the baselets still look good, but that's kind of the breakdown of where you're looking for one or the other. And that's, and that's also where it's like, where is it worth it to spend on the Pixel? Because usually the Pixel, you're going to be in the vicinity of $100 more just because it's Pixel. Because your blade's more expensive and your electronics are more expensive. Right. Um, and so... Um, Especially if you're if you're if you're doing a lot of saber photography or filming or whatever in really brightly lit spaces, pixel is going to look better. So like yeah. on a con floor or things like that, where it's where you got a lot of lights, um, and so then you can't be in as much control of your lighting. Then mm-hmm. pixel is going to like pixel is going to look much much better. Um, and the the manufacturer that I work with, there they have an app now. That allows you to directly connect to your electronics with Bluetooth. And then you can like you can actually adjust the intensity of your light. So there's colors you can get now that were never possible before. Like you can take 
um, you can take a white way, way down so that it looks almost like it's kind of pulling light into it. Um, oh, that, interesting. That it really helps with photography because there are certain, there oh, yeah. are a lot of colors that if you're, if you're photographing the blade, the, the color of the blade doesn't show up. It just looks like a white core. And then the right. light that it's emitting plays on things. Um, but what I found with mine, and I took photographs of some of the other folks, is uh, with my base lit, it's really, really good for that, like, attack of the clones. You know, you're almost in darkness, but your face is lit up mm -hmm. by the, you know, the incredible scene they do with Dooku and Obi-Wan. But yeah, because it's like, if you want the light to show up of the blade then often you're in so much darkness or the, you know, other things like that. So yeah, I can see why the Neopixel would be fantastic for that. Um, and, and, and that's, and then, and yes, you're a photographer, so you will have better words to explain this than me, but it's, but the way that you tell the viewer what color the blade is, is by giving the blade things to reflect light off of. Mm, and so like right. when you, when you see the light on something, then your eyes fill in the details about what color the blade is. And so, like, you can take a photograph of the lightsaber, and this works with the base lit or the, or the pixel, if you just, like, close around so that you're, like, covering with your hand everything that's not the blade, like, the camera's going to see it as white because it's just emitting yeah. so much light that, um, that that's what happens. And so, then you have to give it – you have to give the environment ways to show the eyes what, mm -hmm. color, is, what color is emitting from it. I, I mean, I got to have some fun with the, with the uh, color wheel because, you know, I just turn all the lights in my room to blue, turn the blade to red, and, and hey, look, purple. And, and um. get, yeah, and then, and then you've got, like, blue background and, like, red and purple foreground. And you mm -hmm. can um, and with two sabers, you can do some really cool stuff, too. Oh, where You sure. have, like um, – I, I actually did a video about this recently um, that you can do a red on one side of your face and a blue on the other side of your face. And so then just by, from turning your face side to side, you get a different amount of purple. Right. Um, and so you can, you can create, you know, th these really interesting dualities, both like for, for cosplayers, but also people that do different types of, um, I mean, thirst traps, but dramatic stuff as well. Like, cause yep. it gives you, it gives you this extra thing that you can use to enhance whatever it is you're communicating. Yeah. So. Clearly, that's great if you want to just be like, hey, I'm a generic Sith, I'm a generic Jedi. But I'm for, you know, I'm guessing if someone's cosplaying Ahsoka, they want one that looks as close to, you know, Ahsoka's actual ones or Anakin's or in the days of Glub Shittos, which we're going to be talking about in a <laughs> next episode, you know, uh, that one Jedi who appeared in that one episode of Clone Wars. Um, talk to us about the design of the handles, because we understand you can have, you can design the handles for comfort. But also, you try to have the handles often look like the the handles of actual characters, and and this is the um, the 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 nature of working with um, an international manufacturer mm -hmm. um, is there are there are a number of designs that they've made available to myself and you know the whole of the rest of. Uh, the, the rest of us that work with this manufacturer that are based on right. characters from um, films, cartoons, even some of the, like the novelizations, one of the, um, the high Republic. Oh, interesting. Um, I have, I have one saber from the high Republic. I have two now from the star Wars visions animated. Okay. Um, now with something like the high Republic, a book, are you using it? Are you only doing ones where there's actually like cover art or there's somewhere like, 
you or the company you're working with is, is basically imagining it because no one's ever actually seen a physical image of what this character is supposed to look like. So there's a there's a tremendous amount of what amounts to canon artwork for mm. um, for High Republic lightsabers. Like there's a ton, yeah. Um, not just not just from like some of the original things they were showing us of like you know storyboard ideas and concept art and things like that. Like the comic books are loaded with like you know you'll get to the center of an of a uh, of an issue. And they'll just be a page of lightsaber handles, and it's yeah. like this is this character, this is this character, um, and I, okay. it makes sense when you when you talk about it from the comic perspective, right? And it's just like, well, yeah, because they have to have, like, you know, they have to they have to have something that they're working from to do the panels, even though like most of the yeah. time the character's holding it, but and so then there has to be a canon one so that then anybody that works with that character can reference, right. Um, that makes sense. You know, that reference sense. reference that design. Um, I don't know how many of them started as verbal descriptions and then became art available for other artists to work with, and how many of them started with art, right. and then authors would need to describe them. Um, yeah, I'm thinking like most of the, the the more recent books. I've been reading a lot of them. I I don't think I think sometimes they'll mention like it's kind of bigger or smaller or something like that. The only characters that I remember where there's a very distinct mention of the the, the description of the lightsaber handle is um, – and this is going into EU books, mm-hmm. but you know those are still also yeah, pretty right. awesome sometimes uh, – the Darth Bane books, mm. uh, which I don't know. Did you read those? Um, I'm, I am familiar with the synopsis. I have not read okay. all of them. And I am familiar with the lightsaber. I've been getting asked about that one frequently lately. Oh, so yeah, because my understanding is that that one's – and I think Count Dooku has a similar one. It's mm-hmm. It's a – a curved handle so that you attack from a somewhat different angle is the idea. Um, and some of the there's a there's a couple of companies that that carry a version of that one, um, and it's I want to say it's like described as looking like a scorpion tail or something like that, except they don't say scorpion because mm-hmm. Earth. But yeah. um, but it's that it's yeah, and it's and it's a like the the places where I see that one depicted, it is typically like full curve rather yeah. than bent saber. Um, which is one of the things about the Dooku saber that is like, it's that it, you know, it's got sort of like a forward curve and angled handle and then another forward bend. Um, uh, which is one of the reasons that it took my manufacturer a very long time to, to make that one available to us. It's a very, oh, sure. it's a really difficult shape to wire yeah. electronics into. Um, similarly, like, is there a dark saber out there? Cause I, like just, it, it took me a while watching the dark saber on in the animated show to realize that, like you know, it, it was literally reversing the colors of by having like you know just black inside and a white outline. And the, uh, the way that the way that cosplayers have done this, like the trick, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and the way that my manufacturer has done it is, you take a blade and you make it clear and you run a white light through it, and then you put black paint. Or tape, where you need light to not come through, and then the halo. I love it. I gives love it. it the look, right? And so yeah. the dark saber that I have on my site, and there's a pixel version and a non-pixel version for anybody out there that wants to mm-hmm. um, to do the rainbow mando. Um, that is a that is a possibility now because we are living in the future. Um, but it's a it's a flat polycarbonate clear. And then it's got a layer of black paint on the flat sides of the blade. And then you ignite your saber, set the color to white, 
Yeah. And, and you get that look from screen, even, you know, even some of the live action where you have just like sort of this, this halo around a void. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really good way to describe it. Uh, and it's, and, and that's, that's the reason like people ask about black and it's like, all right, this is how you have to do it. And so mm-hmm. if that's not worth it to you, then I don't have black. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you can only, you'll only be able to film or photograph it from one side. Or the other side, like you can't do 360, so you'll have to pay really close attention to where yeah. your edges are. Otherwise, it's going to look wrong. Um, because, like, light can't emit black. Like, black is is devoid of light. It's not reflecting anything. And right. so, in order to get that effect, you have to you have to prevent light from coming out of the light tube. Um, and there, are just, okay. there are only so many sense. ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can run... I've seen a couple of people do, like, they take electrical tape down the side of a round blade. Right. Um. And, you know, and you do, you do that so that you get the, like you get that haloing look. Um, yeah. Some people don't like how it looks in person. And so it's like, nah, it's like, well, that's it. That's yeah. Like <laughs> that or a paintbrush. Well, that's, those are the options. <laughs> but I do love that because I think like, you know, you never see it. You never like think about it too much unless you're really into these kind of things, but just watching on screen, like it's easy, I think, to get the impression, like this is something distinctly, this is not just a different color of lightsaber. This is something fundamentally different. And just thinking about those terms, like like you said, just the fact that it's like a void with light around it, mm-hmm. it's, that it's really helps ant- give you another understanding of the Mando story, of it being, you know, something it, fundamentally different. It's the antithesis of the lightsaber in so many ways too, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, you know, it's dark at the core instead of light at the core. And we can talk about the animated without crossing the picket line because animated work is currently not subject to right. the strike. Um uh, but that like and the the origin of the Darksaber is really funny because the the writers originally were going to have it just be a vibro blade. And so it was going to be like a vibro sword against a lightsaber right. and, you know, do this fight and whatever. And and just to clarify, because uh, uh, this podcast, we're kind of proud of the fact that, that we don't know all the technical terms. We focus more on the story stuff yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah. The vibro blades are that's like what like the stormtroopers in the sequels use. And right. it's, it's basically, it's, if you imagine like a multi-tool cutter, uh-huh. right? Like it's, so it'll have like a, have, have some type of cutter on it and it just vibrates it really, really fast to cut various materials. Like that's right. functionally what the vibroblades are. So like swords and spears and it's like anything with an edge, the way that Star Wars could get these edged weapons so that there were melee combatants that didn't right. have lightsabers. That was the solution to that problem. And it goes back to the EU. And so right. it's just like it's blade that just like vibrates at such a high frequency that it'll cut through almost anything. That makes sense. Um, and so then that was that was the plan. That was plan A. Is this this fight mm-hmm. in in, a, in an episode of Rebels is going to take place between a vibro blade and a lightsaber? And George Lucas was like, mm-hmm. and so they were like, well, what if well, what if it's this? Here's the here's the backstory. And now it's not just a vibro blade; it's the dark saber. And then Lucas was that. like. Yeah, okay. All right. Sounds yeah. good. Run it. Print. That works. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, because well, there was there was only so hands-on he was with the like the writing. It was more, it's like, all right, here we go. This is what we got. And then he'd be like, meh, or meh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's the kind of technical side of it all. And, and let me just give you that quick chance for the plug. Right. Uh, uh, you know, what's the name of the company? And we'll give you a chance to talk about it in full, but just quickly, it's Level Up Lightsabers, right? Level Up Sabers. Level Up Sabers. Thank level you. Level Up Sabers. So, back to the martial arts side of it. Um, so, it's not like you have learned this martial art of swordplay 
And we're now applying it, saying, like, hey, you can do this with lightsabers. I know that, and I won't say I know much about it, but I know that, like, among people who talk about lightsaber fighting, there's the, you know, basically Disney has, or, like, you know, in the U already, like, Lucasfilms has given a lot of information about lightsaber fighting as its own martial art. And, like, there's all these different forms and things like that. And my sense is that it's not very consistent by any means. Have you eventually, like, if I take lightsaber classes with you, am I going to learn the forms or am I going to be learning this martial art of sword play that I could do with a wooden stick, but why not do with a lightsaber instead? So the uh, – I'm going to say this diplomatically without yucking anybody's yum. Um, so the forms are – there are many aspects to the forms as prevented – from canon and non-canon sources that there's a whole bunch of it martially that I'm like, well, but that (laughs) I, I object. Yeah. And so the, like what, what I am teaching is a, a sword play philosophy that you could probably funnel into one of the, one of the forms, um, But all right, um, let, let me explain this a different way. Okay, so um, part of my system we teach animal styles, and so if you're familiar with Kung Fu Panda, you at least kind of understand the mm-hmm. concept. Our animals are a little bit different, but that's the concept, right? People think about the animal styles as a toolbox, and they are not. They are a strategy. They are a tactic. They are a um, they're a mindset. Your mm-hmm. toolbox okay. is punching, kicking, grappling, and felling. Right. Okay. And so, with sword work, your toolbox wouldn't be the form. Your form would be the way that you apply the toolbox. The forms are generally described toolbox first. And that's the, that's the spot where I have, like, that's, that's my first point of like, I don't find this, I don't, I don't find this that useful. Um, and so... The toolbox that I provide my students is you have functionally three footworks because you're either going in, moving back, or turning around. Mm -hmm. And then a series of vectors that you can attack on. And then depending on how you get attacked, how you are going to counter that attack and what your options are to counter that attack just from a geometry standpoint. Right. Um, The more weapon stuff you do, the more it's it's all just triangles. Um, And so you'll see you see a lot of curves and you see a lot of circles in fights as things move. But mm-hmm. ultimately when things come together and when things fall apart is it's the triangles. Got it. Okay. And so your footwork's triangles, your attacks are triangles, your defenses are triangles because sometimes it's a wedge and sometimes it's a roof. <laughs> Got it. Um, and so the two families of sword style functionally, like two ways that you can categorize samurai sword systems mm-hmm. is you have, Katsujin Ken, or life-giving sword, and you have Satsujin Ken, which is usually called Ansatsu Ken, um, which is the killing sword. Okay. Okay. And uh, and philosophically, if you if you look at this not as Jedi and Sith, but if you look at this as Jedi and Mando. Mm, okay. okay. All right. Katsujin Ken. I am the keeper of the gate, and so behind this gate. Everything in the universe that matters to me is there. Right. So I don't care 
that there are a hundred of you that want to get through this gate. There's not going to be a whole lot of me left at the end, but not a single one of you is going to touch the doorknob. Right. That's Kats- the defensive stance. Okay. Katsujin Ken, right? Um, I'm going to let you screw up instead of being overly aggressive and walking into a trap. Got okay. Ansatsu Ken. I don't care that there are a hundred of you between me and that door. The mm-hmm. one dude that is on the other side of that door, there, there's not going to be a lot of me left. But I'm going to get there and I'm going to find out what color his blood is. Right. <laughs> and that is on sets again. Um, and and people, people think about the Jedi and Sith as being kind of the yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of what we have of the Sith in canon is really difficult to describe them in that context because it's like it's so parasitic. Yeah. Like just all the relationships are just so like you eat people. It's one of the things that um, you and I have found uh, that we have some philosophical differences to how we apply this. <laughs> uh, if you find pretty much any time that either uh, Alan or myself does a video about our particular beliefs on Anakin, for example, look in the comments. You'll probably find the other of us. And we've had some, like, I think a great model of how to have disagreements in Star Wars. That's great. And I'm we're not going to get into that quite yet, uh, yeah. necessarily. But It's but hard I think to do is- that without con- without discussing the struck work. Um, and right. so I wasn't, I wasn't going to instigate it because I didn't want to. That, that's why I was like, let's not do that philosophy discussion now. Let's, let's focus on the, the lightsaber stuff. But I think it's, it's important to understand there. I, I will say, because I think also most of the development of the Sith beyond mustache twirling villains has happened, I think, on the page, not on the show. Um, and I've always felt, though, that there is a, like, I think that a lot of authors have a problem where they both want to make their villains have a philosophy that might be interesting or relatable, but at the same time, they want them to remain villains, particularly when it's aimed primarily at younger audiences where, and I think this is often incorrect, but where often the publishers have the idea of we've got to keep it morally fairly black and white. Um, um, and and from a cinema standpoint, like we are going to con- continue to exist in a world in which it's very black hat, white hat because, because now um, international movie sales are such an important part of a film being successful. Whereas before DVD sales were a really important part of a movie making back its investment. Now performing well in foreign countries that have really different perspectives on um, what, what they, what they enjoy or what the hero stories are. Like in Southeast Asia, hero stories are really different right. from from European tales. Like there's like there's certain overlapping things, but there's there's a lot of stuff really different. Yeah. Um uh and the um this is actually one of the things I love about the High Republic. Let's jump to that. How about that. Sure, yeah. Um and so there is there are there are a couple of issues of um the High Republic adventures on the IDW publishing line. So these are from Daniel Jose Older who is on TikTok, and if you have never had him on your podcast, that is, it's, it's worth DMing him. Because um, sure. he's written a lot of fabulous stuff. He's part of the story group for the High Republic. Um, his wife had a novel come out a couple of months ago that's also really, really good. Um, uh, but, but so there is this counterpoint between a child that is uh, not, not necessarily too old to do Jedi training, but it essentially elects not to, mm-hmm. but continues to follow the Jedi around. And 
this other child that was a very close friend of that one that gets taken by the Nile, who are the big bad of right. the High Republic, the High Republic. stories. Um, and they're like, they're a little bit like the Reavers from Firefly, except they think. Yeah. Um, and it's, and so it, it shows this counterpoint of a, a person within the Jedi temple where they're, they are not following the path, but this person also doesn't have anywhere to go. Right. And so they're there and they become really close with uh, a Padawan that's very close to the same age. And there's this, um, there's a lot of visual like things that sort of tie those two characters together. Um, and then we have this other, this other character that is being like, it's, it's all the, the pipeline stuff, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the, the types of indoctrination and the types of like, um, uh, eliminating their contact others and like, mm-hmm. we're the only we're the only ones that understand you all of that kind of stuff it's this and it's this really really cool dichotomy dichotomy between this like this toxic environment to bring somebody into your ideology versus this other environment that is just like no this is this is who we are you have nowhere else to go and nobody else is taking you and you have this thing that you can do and we are not necessarily going to teach you how to do all the things with it that we can but we are absolutely going to teach you how to not hurt people with it. Right. Um, and that, and that arc is just so cool. And it's something that from other media, we don't really have. Yeah. Um, uh, at least from the star Wars perspective, we haven't gotten a lot of, we, we haven't gotten Ninja Turtles in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not in a visual property. And I think that's one of the things why I love the book so much. I mean, I recently did an uh, episode Depending on release order, I think it's the episode right before this one with uh, Riki Hayashi on the book Lost Stars, which I don't know if you've read it. Oh. Um, it it's a romance. It's, it's an incredibly it's well done romance. It is and wonderful. And talk about like so first of all, it's just the romance genre, but also very much the like philosophy and like the the, the war crossed star crossed lovers and all this. But I mean, talk about like moving away from black hat, white hat. You'll be introduced to a character in that who you will find yourself sympathetic to and maybe even rooting for to some extent, who was in the Empire, who watched the destruction of Alderaan and found a way to justify it to themselves to stay in the Empire. And you're just like, you get to a point in the book where you're like, wait, how am I rooting for this kid? How, not even rooting, I mean, you're against the Empire, but you're like, I really want this character to find their way to a good end. And it's it's just going to be incredible. Incredible and, writing, and, but I, but I think what you're, what, what you're experiencing is it's, you want that person to figure it out. You want that person to reject the toxicity. Right. Instead of embrace it. Like that's what you're wide. And it's just like, you're, you're this close. You're this right. close. And because then. Because I, I think what it is able to convey is, and this is again, I think what, like a few books have done this with the Sith and I wish we had more is that understanding of I, this media has allowed me to see through your eyes enough. To understand why, through your eyes, you are the hero in your story. I, sociopaths never think they're the bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that thing is like, <laughs> like, we can look at someone and be a sociopath, but I think that's somewhat different from the, and again, this is a whole other conversation, yeah. but just the like, you know, the person who, because of the way they've been raised and because of what they've been exposed to and because of what they've been taught, just this is their their belief, you know? Well, and like, um, we can do, we can do Thrawn because we can talk about the books and this, this was, mm-hmm. this was a really interesting Twitter discussion a couple of months ago. Um, but so like, cause Thrawn is not a, like Thrawn is not a good guy. 
right? right? Like he's an incredibly complex figure. He's brilliant. He is. If Sherlock Holmes became a villain, mm-hmm. um, and then I remember a handful of people getting mad when a writer described him as Moriarty. Which yeah. is if Sherlock Holmes <laughs> became a villain. And, you know, and there were a lot of people, no, he's if Sherlock Holmes became a villain. And it's like, that, that was Moriarty. <laughs> Conan Doyle invented Moriarty to kill Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because we're deep into tangent land, but this is a great tangent. Yeah. It's so interesting. And and um, I here's my theory on Thrawn. I think that there are currently part of the reason why people say, no, Thrawn is like this. And they'll quote one set of media to defend their position. And someone else will say, no, Thrawn is this, and they'll quote a different set of media. I think there are currently three different Thrawns. I think there's the original Timothy Zahn trilogy Thrawn, in which he is straight up a villain. Straight up a villain. He wants the Empire back. There's no justification for it. He's he's a monster, and he's not necessarily a very complex monster monster from a motivation standpoint. Right. He's willing to attack civilians. He's willing to uh, kill subordinates the way Vader did, but in a little bit more controlled way. Then there's Rebels Thrawn, who is kind still of still a war criminal. Still a little war bit more unsta- more understandable. Still a war criminal. <laughs> still willing to bomb civilians when he needs it to, but also very like you know, oh, we must respect our enemy and not just treat them poorly and all this kind of. Yeah. He's the dignified villain. And then there's the recent books where I think the person who forgot that Thrawn is a villain was Timothy Zahn. I think, um, and that's why I think like because in the most recent books it's much more oh no, but. His own people are under attack, and it's this. And I still think he's a villain, but I, but I think that's part of why we get all these debates is because it, it's kind of like the elephant, you know. Depending on which throng <laughs> media you're experiencing, he's a fundamentally different character. Well, but it's also, but we also like so. Thrawn is an incredibly charismatic character. Uh huh. His reasons are his justifications for his actions are understandable. In uh, those later novels, those in, justifications aren't anywhere in. The well, the, stuff. the justifications don't exist in *Heir to the Empire*, right? right? But the Thrawn in *Rebels* and the Thrawn in the most recent Zahn books are the same Thrawn. One of them is told through the perspective of people who are underneath his boot, and the other one is told from his perspective. Right. Um, and so then the question is: Do we think Thrawn is a reliable narrator about how connected he is to the atrocities he's willing to commit? Right. And I think for Thrawn to be willing to commit the atrocities that he commits, like canonically, mm-hmm. like, you know, so that leaves out the, the heir to the empire. Thrawn. Right. Um, like that. I don't, I don't think that Thrawn is fully connected to understanding his crimes, which is also like, I mean, that, that scans, like you look at, um, but also like, I don't, I don't think the, the Thrawn we meet in the early Zahn books, the new ones, the canon mm-hmm. ones, that that Thrawn is in a different place in his life than the one that we see in the animated show. Mm, okay, so you think it is all the same, just at different different time because and different different me, time fun- and different perspective. Like point of view matters so much in Star Wars. To me, I've always thought the fundamental difference is in those more recent books, Thrawn fundamentally refuses and often will disobey orders and fu- use his great mind to find a way. To avoid attacking civilians. Whereas in Rebels, he's willing to attack civilians. And to me, that's why I've always been like, Zahn has cleaned up the character as much as possible in the books to make him appear more of the relatable villain, maybe almost even into anti-hero kind of place. He never gets there, I don't think, but that's why I think people do. And make it somebody that you can sympathize with more, because it's back to the thing where it's like, you're this close. Right. You're this close. You, like, 
You could choose to not be evil. You could. You really could. You don't think you can. You feel like if you did, then the price would be too great, but you actually could. And that's and and that is a that's a very important story for villains in Star Wars across all media. Yeah, is is sure. just how close to not being a villain the villains could choose to be. Yeah, um, and then we have to watch them not do it and then argue about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's a good place to kind of wrap up our discussion. And again, this this is one that gets pretty close to where we often disagree, but I, I think I don't want to just hear your 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 perspective on this in a more general way. As a martial arts mentor and teacher, I know I've often heard you talk about relating a lot to the Jedi who are mentors, who are teachers themselves. Talk a little bit more about that, about what your journey as a martial artist and a martial artist teach martial arts teacher, the insight that that's given you into the Jedi. Um, and yes, you can say the word Anakin. It's okay. Eh, um, <laughs> it's I can I can do this more archetypally because it's Perfect. actually it's it's. So like, um, the, the journey of being a martial arts instructor is wild because different people get into it for different reasons. Some people become uh -huh. a martial arts instructor because that is the only way to fund your martial arts habit. Like you get to this point <laughs> yep. where you just need to do martial arts all the time. And if you're not getting paid to do it, you can't. Yeah. Um, and so you open a school so that you can do martial arts every day. Um, right. And then every now and then you look into somebody that's like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. I'm going to give them money so that they'll give it to me. And it's like, ah, dumbass, could do this for free. Which I, um, I, I have a friend who is both a PhD student and a martial artist. And they said, basically, it's the same thing. Yeah, like at my dojo, <laughs> they made me be a TA. Yeah. You know, if I, because I was now doing graduate level works and I had to teach the 101 classes. And and the the other thing, and this is, um, there's, a, there's a bunch of people that have studied this from a bunch of different directions. But you get to a certain point where you're really good at something. In order to get better, you have to get better a different way than how you got to where you were, like that, right. whatever level, right? And one of the ways that that is, is having to teach people how to do stuff that you do without thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and the reason why there are some people that are really bad at being martial arts instructors or really hate being martial arts instructors is because they can't figure out how to explain something that they do intuitively. Yeah. Um, I... My, my favorite story about this, because I think it applies to teaching almost anything, you know, Ted Williams, one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived, attempted as to a, teach people numerous times and was terrible at it. As a, as a fan of the Red Sox, kind of, that's, that's a complicated story. And as a son of Massachusetts, <laughs> I feel required to say, Ted Williams, not a great human being. Also fair. Also, <laughs> also I will say, yeah. as a New Yorker, I've learned to say, yes, I'm from New York, but I hate the Yankees. Yes, I'm a Mets fan, but... <laughs> We, we have peace between us from mutual hatred of the Yankees. 86 has been forgotten. All that stuff. Anyway, now that I've alienated every Gen Z in my audience. Nobody knows um, what's going on. It's fine. Exactly. Um, 1986. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. Um, but Ted Williams, one of the reasons why he was an incredible hitter is that he had probably some of the best eyesight of anybody in his generation. That's why he was also an incredible fighter pilot uh, in World War II and mm -hmm. Korean War. Uh, and a very accurate marksman. And so when he would be asked, how do you hit? He would tell people, oh, you just watch the rotation of the of the ball. And that's a, that's something most human eyes are simply incapable of doing. <laughs> but and if could, you can see it, you can't do math fast enough to know what you need to do. Like, that's right. Not... <laughs> it, it's that he just was able to – he and, and so 
I think he's a great example, I think, of what you're talking about, of when you have this just incredible preternatural ability to do something, teaching it, like, being able to get inside the head of someone who doesn't have that skill and teach it to them. And I feel like that is something that, like, especially in the game Jedi Survivor, um, I'm sorry, no, the first, what was the first of the, yeah, the uh, first video game was Jedi Survivor. No, first one was um, Fallen Order, and then Survivor came second. Oh, you're, no, I'm sorry, you're right, yeah, I've not played Survivor yet. Really wanted to, but Final Fan first Zelda and then Final Fantasy got in the way. <laughs> it's we'll get to priorities. It. That's you know. We'll it's get not going to anywhere. it. Uh, Baldur's Gate's probably going to stop there soon. But if I get a week, <laughs> we finish Final Fantasy anyway. Point being, <laughs> I love it. Um, one thing I love in that in that game is that they do really show how like yeah, if you are if you're teaching someone of a different species, like your body does different things, and there are, there are moments where. The mentor has to realize, like, wait, no, no, my student can't physically do this the way I do. So I've got to figure out a way to teach them the way they're teaching it. And it sounds like that's the kind of thing you're talking about. If not necessarily a different body. Yeah, exactly. Well, but, but yeah. I mean, but it is different bodies. That's the thing. Like, I've right. got um, one of the people that teaches with me, one of somebody that's been my student for a really long time, coworker. Um, they spent a huge portion of their life with one like three inches shorter than the other. Hmm. Um, and it was like developmental years, right? It wasn't until yeah. the body had stopped growing and other things that they found a doctor that did the surgery that relengthened it, put his legs the same length and all this stuff. Like his calves are still like, you can tell which one's the long, like which one was the short yeah. leg and other stuff like that. Um, and so like his stuff is just different. He has to do the material differently. He has to like, he has to arrange his weight differently, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's, but that's teaching. And now, so like one of the things that we see in a lot of, Jedi training and just across media, right? Is mm -hmm. it's sit down and listen. Yeah. Don't listen to me. Sit down and listen to the force. Listen to what's going on. And so all this stuff you got swimming around, all of these things that you feel like are your responsibility, that if you don't do them, it will be the end of the universe and all this stuff. Take, take all of that and set it down. And now let me show you something that is possible. Right. I can't explain to you how I do it. Well, I can, but that's not going to help. I can show you that it's possible and then I can explain to you how I do it. And then you can go and fart around and figure out how you can do it. Because now that right. you know it's possible, you're not going to get in your own way. Right. And so the amount of teaching that is, I'm going to show you how it's possible. Like not just martial arts, like, like pick a subject. Oh, yeah. Right. It's I'm going to show you how it's possible. I'm going to explain to you how I do it. Now you figure out how you do it. It, it I always loved, and this is oddly taught to me um, in my training to become a pastor, but I think there's a lot of like similarities with all these kind of different ways of learning, of being a mentor mm -hmm. and like, um, that the, the, the job of religion, but also of any good teacher is not to give easy answers. It's to help people better understand the questions and to uh, help and people find their own answer. Help, Give people the tools that they can find their own answers to the questions. All right, and I'm going to assume that there's a whole lot of people asking the wrong question without realizing that that's what they're doing in yeah. that in that training. It's yeah. like somebody has an assumption that they have made that leads them to a space where they can't figure something out, and so then they ask a question at that point. And so right. then, what you actually have to do to help them is bring them back to their assumption and be like, "Are you sure this is true?" No, it's very true. And I think that's that's teachers, that's mentors, that's religious professionals, that's any kind of person. Also, it, 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 it hits a lot of things, right? And now and now I will invoke Annie's name. Um, and we don't have to discuss struck work to hit this because um, yeah. actually we can't. Well, and I, I, I will just say 
we, I am okay. Like we can. I've already mentioned one of the movies. It's okay that like but I'm not going to do any but, episodes when Soka comes out. Yeah, etc. But go yeah, ahead. Yeah. But so because we don't get to see Anakin be a teacher outside of the animated. That's right. where we see him be a teacher. Um, the when I first saw Revenge of the Sith in theaters was where I was just like, oh yeah, I'm out. Uh-huh. Force taken because I don't want. Him. Yeah. The animated made me even angrier. Mm, interesting. Because so like it's like like he that character exists to violate every core value of my profession. That's right. why that's that's what he's written to do. And a lot of people then will say Just about, be clear, because specifically like he does he attacks and kills his own students. I, but more than that, like even like even deeper, right? And so how many times conservatively do you feel like Ahsoka needed to lie to Anakin's superiors on behalf of Anakin? A lot. And how many of those times would have been at Anakin's not like whether Anakin was intentional about it or not, like because of because of him, right? Right. Like because of his influence and all that kind of stuff. As a mentor. Could you could you imagine? Like, could you imagine if I had a student that lied to my instructor or me? What kind of human being that makes me? Right. Right? Like, so if if my if my student does something that I know they should not do, mm-hmm. it's my job to take the hit. It's not theirs. Right. If I do something in front of my student that I shouldn't do and my student gets put in a position to to be the to be the one to fat, like push the lie. Mm-hmm. Like and and that's like a, a theme of Clone Wars is um, like apologists for Anakin will point to all of these times where Anakin went off script. And well, but it worked out like he was he was right. And. Okay, own it. Yeah. And one of the aspects of that character is it's never his fault. No, you're right. And I think I think it's I think that's really helpful because I am I'm by no means an Anakin apologist, but I am someone who did like I have a much more negative view of the Jedi by the time of the Clone Wars than I know you do. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I do think that the Jedi are wrong and Anakin and Ahsoka are right. And but you're right. It's the way that he often he doesn't take responsibility for it, and um, he kind of he, he places her in these impossible situations, mm-hmm. especially in regard to oh, with with their mutual relationship with Obi Wan. Mm-hmm. That is just it's unconscionable, especially when it's you know it's an adult and a child, and all the things that go along with that. And and one of the one of the things that because um, I get I get a lot of different varieties of Anakin apologists in my comments, mm-hmm. right? Because there's just the ones that make it so that it is very, very effective clickbait when the views are low is because right. there is a subset of the Star Wars fandom that feels incredibly powerless in their existence. And they are envious of how a character could table flip, leave their job and leave blood behind them. Right. Um, and that is the that is the the section of the fandom that we may never be divorced of because that is a a section of humanity that is mostly male but that is that is a section of humanity that our society is just not ready to stop mass manufacturing right um and they will continue to find places to be and find characters to connect with and things like that um but then there are other apologists that sort of i I just want to also quick say that's not unique to star wars star wars anakin 
but that's the the people who love the the like I think there are ways to love the Joker movie for and see it as I think it was meant to be. But the people who identify with that character, the people who just throughout in my day, again, we're going to alienate a lot of our, my younger <laughs> listeners. The, uh, you know, the movie Natural Born Killers, like you right. know, the people like there's there's always been the you know. I'm going to go with that direction. But anyway, so go on with your point. But that, yeah. And, the, and like that is – and those characters are going to continue to exist in art either because of people that want to live vicariously through the character or because of people making commentary on right. this section of the population that again, like we are mass manufacturing these people. Um, right. They are, you know, I, and I would love to do something about it, but I, I have my space that I can affect and fix the world. Yeah, which – but, but um, you know, the, the little bit you're teaching, I'm sure it helps, like, you know, your students. And, and that's the, it's like, and that's because that's how far my reach extends. So those are the people that I, I try to make it different, right? But so, but then you have this other section, right? And there are people that interact with that character primarily through what they could have been rather mm-hmm. than what is canon. And so the character that could have been was a really, really special person. Right. Right. And they, and so then they think of the, the character as being that could have been. And there's all of these places where, you know, that, that path could have diverged differently or whatever. And so then those people are defenders of that character for that reason. There are other people that experience the Jedi in any era um, through the lens of like a repressive religious, because they see. Um, we'll, we'll invoke Anakin's name again. They see Anakin suffering under this love that he cannot confess. Right. Um, and that resonates with a lot of people. Um, and it resonates with a lot of people because they grew up someplace where there were people that they cared about or people that they were attracted to that they couldn't tell anybody because the social consequences would be too great. Right. Um, and that becomes much less an Anakin apology. Like those conversations are very rarely Anakin apology. They start there. They very quickly become I, I like anti-Jedi is not the right answer, but it's like, but like it's that connection. Right. Right. And I think and that's probably where I am to a large extent. And then but and I to me I think where a lot of it breaks down, and again, I don't want to go too much longer, but yeah. this is a great conversation, is I think that one of the things that is very hard for people to grasp, and I I am not I've come to enjoy the prequels a lot more than I used to, in large part because of the the um so many of the, the younger fans who love them have shown me sides of them. And I think the Clone Wars makes them much better. Mm. Um uh the way a lot of the recent novels have made the sequel some of the, the sequel connections make a lot more sense to me. I love Last Jedi, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> But is that I, I think – and this is, I think, a problem in our society in general, but especially when it comes to these questions, I think there are three fundamentally different concepts that people mix up all the time. One is explanation, like the cause of something. Mm-hmm. The second is the excuse or justification, and the third is blame. And the, mm-hmm. you know, and you can maybe even say it's just those two things of like explanation versus blame. And Linked to that is the idea often that blame is zero sum, that if one person has more blame, another person has less blame. And to me, I have always thought that the prequels were trying to tell the most adult, I don't mean in a sexual way, but in terms of like emotional complexity, they were trying to tell this very emotionally complicated, nuanced, gray story of 
a fall to evil from good, uh, you know, of a hero who could fall to darkness in something that was aimed specifically at keeping it younger and keeping mm-hmm. it some more simplistic and things like that. And I, I feel a lot of times when I hear both the Anakin apologists or the, the oh, you're attacking the Jedi too much or you're defending the Jedi too much, I feel like that's what's missing is that it that, that is possible to say Anakin makes the choices he makes full stop. And holds 100% responsibility and blame for those choices. Now, though, can we also have a conversation, and we may disagree about it, but can we have a discussion of what were the things that made that helped shape him to become the person he is who made those choices? And I think that's often where you'll either get people who say, oh, no, no, it's not Anakin's fault. It's all the Jedi. It's all Palpatine. Or the ones who say, no, he's evil, therefore not- the Jedi did nothing wrong and Palpatine did everything wrong. And, and I, I just think the conversation is always going to be much more complicated. Well, and, it's, and it requires defining your terms up front because right. there are a lot of people that perceive that story wildly differently. And this is one of the things that I have learned with, again, because like, like posting Anakin hate is like when, when views are down, it works, it works great because everybody's got yeah. an opinion and nobody can stop themselves. Yep. Um, um, but is the narrator reliable? Which characters have agency? And not everybody is going to agree on either of those things. Right. And if you and if you don't agree on those things, then you're functionally talking about different stories. Yeah. And so then, as you talk about characters and as you talk about the lessons that you took away and things like that, then it makes it so that you can't have a conversation apples to apples. And, and so then people get focused on where they disagree rather than taking that, taking that step back to the assumption that has been made that was actually a false assumption. We just didn't realize it when we started. Right. And it's like, oh, well, I interpret the story as everybody has agency. Right. I interpret the story as everybody has agency, but Anakin's not a reliable narrator. I, I interpret the story as Anakin is kind of a reliable narrator, but the only characters with agency are Palpatine and Anakin. Um, and you start and you start going through these things because there are a lot of people that part of the reason why um, they don't dive too deeply on the Jedi is because one of the things that we know is that Palpatine put himself in a position to manipulate galactic outcomes through his decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, not struck work. I can talk about this. There was a series of books and then movies called Night Watch. And so mm-hmm. it's Night Watch, Day Watch, and Twilight Watch. Are you familiar? Um, so it's it, it's sort of urban fantasy. It's very dark. It's originally Russian. Um, but the second movie, um, which is basically like the second book and the third book mushed mush together with like a bunch of stuff cut out and, and extra things stuck in. There is a character who is sort of the big bad. And we see them over and over again playing a PlayStation game. And they get to a boss fight. Except he's mm-hmm. the boss. And then the boss fight goes a certain way. And so then we see it happen again. And then the boss fight goes a certain way. And we see it happen again. And then finally, in the final act of the movie, the hero makes a different choice than the one that was happening in the game. Right. And because of the manipulations. And so like the, 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 the villain was able to play on this level that nobody else could participate in, where they were able to look at the outcomes of their choices, whereas nobody else can. Right. And so 
And so if you have a character that actually understands the outcomes of their choices, rather than having to understand like all the possible outcomes, and you look at the story through that lens, then it's really hard to say everybody has agency because if, and if, and if there are characters that are lacking agency, then it's really hard to then say, well, they, they have to carry this bag or they have to carry this bag or whatever, because that decision truly wasn't made for them because somebody else was manipulating outcomes on a different level. And if you don't perceive um, Sith in general, like operating on that level, mm-hmm. then you won't agree with anything that comes out of that conversation and, and vice right. versa. Right? right. Like it's, um, and that's one of the things that because Star Wars uses a soft magic system, it's like the rules don't matter. It's all, it's all what the story needs at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so then it's like, you can't, um, you can't do the stuff that you can with like a Sanderson novel where yeah. like the rules are very. And I do think it's very interesting and this is probably where we'll wrap up here, but I'll kind of say this and like, let you respond and then kind of yeah, wrap up yeah. that. And I think probably intentionally, but frustratingly, because as you said, I think so many of us have just wildly different interpretations. Star Wars has said so very little about what that was like while Anakin's growing up. And it's funny because I've always, I, I try to not let this influence me too much, but it does have an influence on me. The only thing that I have read that really kind of dives into this, and it's only like the last chapter of the book that I mentioned, Darth Plagueis, mm-hmm. which is about – and is in the, canon, so we can't lean. Yeah, on it's it. not. Like, it's not exactly. It, it, was, it was like one of the last books written, but was not canonized. It's not part. Of, it's part of the EU. Um, and in it, it, it is about Darth Plagueis, the person who then trains Darth Sidious, mm. and so it's mostly about the rise of Darth Sidious. And the last half of it takes place during the events of the Phantom Menace, and it ends with this scene where it it, it ends basically showing that scene in the Chancellor's office at the end of Phantom Menace. Uh, where we see, you know, Anakin has a new haircut and isn't it cute? And uh, Palpatine starts to ask Anakin about his mother, and Obi Wan kind of cuts him off and is like, "No, no, no, we don't, we don't talk about that." And Anakin just smiles. In the book, from Palpatine's perspective, Palpatine in that moment senses how much Anakin is not respond is that Anakin is saying what Obi Wan wants, but is not going along with it, mm-hmm. and that. It's this idea that Palpatine is aware of the this emotional confusion that Obi-Wan is missing. And, and the, the way that they have changed this, because now there's comic books that have touched on a bunch of Padawan Anakin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like there's a, a now I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, because I've referenced this a couple of times recently. Um, but it's a there's a there's a story where Anakin and Kenobi are off world and they're you know, they're performing some kind of mission or other. Um, and they they have the conversation where Kenobi is like I'll leave the order i'll leave with you so that you're not alone right like that's you know if that's if that's if that's what you're going to do this is what that looks like um and and the same comic book basically talks about like how frequently anakin is meeting with palpatine and so it sets up the the grooming that yeah like i i gotta say i don't like like and this is a whole other discussion we'll get into it but to me that fundamentally violates so much of what because then, yeah, it does make Anakin just like like an idiot instead. Okay, well, I'll, we'll just I'll, I'll have to read those comics and we'll talk about it. Because to me, that's that's betraying your own canon in a way. But we'll talk about it. We'll, well but that was it. like it, when you when we when we talk about George Lucas's message about the Afghanistan and Iraq War, mm-hmm. like and Anakin was intentionally 
analogous to George W. Bush and mm-hmm. Palpatine was intentionally analogous to Dick Cheney. And he had some very unkind things to say about both of those people. Yeah. Um, and, and part of the reason that Anakin makes some questionable decisions, it is like, it is still very much the perception of George W. Bush that he was, you know, like a, an impressionable doofy, mm-hmm. like oh, that yeah. was, you know, that was how he was portrayed on a completely different level from other politicians that we have currently. Like it was, that was, yeah. You know, I don't know if you ever stumbled upon the website bushorchimp.com. <laughs> I have seen it. Well, and all, all that I mean is that I feel, and again, I, I'm taking your 10 second version of it, yeah, so yeah. I'm sure they're a lot deeper. But to me, an essential part of the story is that, you know, and I think it's something we're talking about a lot in our society is that, you know, when teenagers like get sucked into these right wing rabbit holes, like, I don't, I'm not a parent. I'm not ever going to say that I think it is easy for a parent to stop that. And I don't necessarily, again, the blame thing. When a kid goes that direction and then something horrible happens later, it's not that I'm going to, I'm going to 100% put the agency on on the, the person who does it. But often we do see that there was parental neglect or parental not seeing what happened or things like that. And that's what I think. I or just don't that, want. Or things I, that parents allowed that, like, we right. can be like, uh. And, and maybe I think, and this is to tie it all the way back to the original yeah. story. This is you and I having different perspectives because mm-hmm. you come at it from the perspective of the mentor and the teacher, and I come at it from the perspective of the person who's been within the depths of religious, social, educational organizations and seen both the good and the horrible bad they can do. And, and I left and, the church at a much younger age than you started questioning right. where your faith was at. So, like when I when I initially saw the uh, prequel movies, I was already like I was already approaching philosophy kind of like a salad bar anyway and so like I, yeah. I i was reading a lot of stuff that like a majority of you know high school juniors and seniors aren't exposed to in mm-hmm. certain parts of america or even collegiate <laughs> students aren't exposed to in certain parts of america like that's you know and that's a and i was literally the exact opposite because i became a christian because talking to a friend of mine who was like oh yeah those yoda teachings you love let me talk to you about this jesus teaching <laughs> And I was like, oh, Jesus sounds a lot like a Jedi. Okay, I he did this. He yeah. did. <laughs> Very much so. So anyway, all right. Great conversation. There's going to be a lot more for us to talk about. Yeah. Uh, as I said, check out both of our TikToks. But to do that, people have to know your TikTok. And most importantly, they have to know how to find you online. And they have to know where to buy your lightsabers. So give us the quick pitch. Where can people find neighborhood, uh, uh, neighborhood master, fr- friendly neighborhood master Alan? <laughs> where can they find you online? All right. So... Level Up Sabers is the website, levelupsabers.com. I am Level Up Light on Instagram and threads. I am Level mm-hmm. Up Light 1 on TikTok, also Level Up Light 2 because sometimes I get posting bans for posting lightsaber content because it thinks it's a weapon and just does it automatically and then I have to be in timeout for a little bit. So, <laughs> then, I have a, so then I have a second account where I can put lightsaber videos so that, yep. you know, because like 85% of my business comes directly from TikTok. Um <laughs> Uh, I am on Twitter. I feel conflicted about calling it X. Um, I'm I'm still calling it Twitter. (laughs) I think more people will understand that. Yep. Um, What are the other socials? Uh, Level of Saber is on YouTube. Okay. Um, While you are on YouTube, check out the Better Than a Stick game. If -hmm. you are are not familiar with High Gain Sad, who is uh, Sean Martin, who I met through TikTok, Sea Cow Explosion, who prefers to go by that name than his birth name. And so I will forever refer to him as yep. Sea Cow, or refer to them, excuse me, as Sea Cow Explosion. Uh, Bedazzler, Star Wars Lawyer, and John of the Hutt, 
are all fellow cast members, and we have. I'm actually going to post our final episode here in just a minute after I get off with you. Awesome, um, awesome. Um, well, but we would lo- we would love to get some more more eyeballs on that show. Awesome, and we will have links to all that in the show notes, so no worries there. Thank you so um, much. Of course, of course. That's the you know that's I want to, I want to spread more of this stuff. Just and the I, exchange. <laughs> yeah, so so glad to you for coming on, uh, and of course. Uh, patrons, uh, we're going to have a little bit more from Alan in just a second on the topic of Glove Shittos, but uh, <laughs> if you're not a patron, uh, of course, you can find all the ways to contact us on our website, theethicalpanda.com. You'll find all the information about this podcast, as well as my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, um, and you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on TikTok. Let us know what you think. Ask questions. Uh, you know, have you have, do you use lightsabers at home or, you know, uh, take part in competitions with them or uh, things like that? What do you think of this whole discussion? Would love to hear your thoughts. You can share that all the ways on the website. Of course, also in the show notes, you find a way to become a patron. A couple of bucks a month, you get ad-free content, you get bonus content. And right now during the strike, uh, 25% of everything I make from Patreon is being donated to the Entertainers Fund. It's helping support people who are losing income because of the strike. And that's everything from the actors and writers themselves to the caterers, the, the hairstylists, the people who don't have work to do because these other unions are on strike. So if you want to think about becoming a patron, it's awesome. Uh, But either way, thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you, Alan, for being a part of it. We have spoken. This is the way. (laughs) 